everybody to the next episode of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. I'm Matt Valley. Uh, super happy to have you with us. And it is my distinct pleasure to welcome qualitative moderator and facilitator extraordinaire Rolf Feinstein. Hi, Ro. Hello. So nice to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah. So uh, Ro and I, we work together at a company called Magid, and mm -hmm. Ro is fantastic. I can say that she uh, can lead focus groups and uh, facilitate workshops with the best of them. So yeah. I had a chance to see her in action, so I know that you'll love what she has to say. So uh, Ro, um, although she has recently moved to Texas, as have I, uh, before she moved to Texas, she was in New York City, and she has a really interesting background in the New York City art scene, and one that I found inspiring myself and thought it was worth uh, sharing it with all of you. So uh, super happy to have you here, Ro. Uh, looking forward to the chat. Yeah, me too. Thanks Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, so first question, Ro. Uh, let's just uh, hear a little bit about your Consumer Insights background. How did you get into this crazy field anyway? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so right now I am um, director of, sorry, I'm a research director of um, qualitative insights at a company called Buzzback, which is great. I'm really enjoying it. A lot of our work is digital. Um, but how I got into it, so I got into insights, uh, research, and strategy after I was laid off from my job um, during the recession. Uh, as, as many folks were, and um, I love pre-pandemic, of course. Right? Yes, right. yeah, pre yeah, yeah. So it was like 2009, um, and I loved advertising, loved the ad world. I made some of my most lasting relationships there during that time. And to be honest, I still keep in touch with um, those folks. You know, they are. I've never had a work family like I did with my ad fam. So we all keep in touch and I'd work with any of them again at the top of a hat. Um, and I love testing creative. <laughs> um, but anyway, I was laid off. Um, and after six months being unemployed, I started to lean on my um, master's degree finally, which is in integrated marketing communications. Cool. Um, yeah, so, and that's like a little bit of everything, public relations, marketing, research, strategy, uh, communications, and so I landed a job, I was lucky to find a job at a company called Sterling Brands, uh, which is a strategy and also um, design strategy firm, mm -hmm. and over seven years I worked my way up to brand strategist, and which is rare because in the strategy in, in industry, in, you know, in consultative type of industry, they don't often kind of foster you from within. Uh, it can be tough to kind of learn on the job. Uh, a lot of folks just get hired from business school, from B school, um, or other uh, consultancies. So I got through, I was very lucky to have some really great female mentors uh, who I still keep in touch with from Sterling, awesome women who continue to guide me. Um, great. But the reason I'm staying in the research and strategy world is um, it's hard for me not to be hypnotized by insights. Um, it's psychology. I think it's absolutely fascinating to learn about how people think, um, how they decide, 
I think a lot of strategists and researchers would probably give this answer um, to, about why they're in this field. But for me personally, it's like being a voyeur, um, but with a purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, I'm in it for the money, but uh, well, actually <laughs> I'm not. So. <laughs> Similar reason as you. So, uh, so that's great. Um, now tell us a little bit about your time as an artist and as a catalyst and advocate, I would say, for uh, others in the New York City art scene? Well, I tried, I tried. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, kind of underground. It wasn't very, like, high-level, like, famous type of art scene, but um, I started to put together art shows um, to give my friends who are artists the opportunity to and some motivation also to sort of finish up their works and be seen. Um, I noticed that, you know, my incredibly talented artist friends weren't always the most savvy in terms of organizing art shows, so I just did it. Um, selfishly, I also found it a really great way to build community in um, places that I lived. I lived all over New York City from Manhattan to a million places in Brooklyn and uh, doing these shows was a really great way for me to meet people in the local community and I set up the shows mainly in bars um, where they were already where I saw that they were already hanging up artwork sure. uh, so you know by locals so it was really easy and it was fun oh, that's that's really cool sometimes people just need that little extra push especially if they're kind of stuck in their own creative space uh, to have somebody from the outside give them that push and give them some visibility, I think that's really super important. For so, sure. Yeah, For sure. yeah. So, so tell me about uh, maybe uh, a really interesting experience from that time. Sure. Well, a really interesting experience from that time was, you know, I have always been really shy about um, my own artwork. So, um, which is great, by the way. I've seen some some of it, so. Thanks, yeah. Um, so I, I think for me, it was just a way to sort of step out. Um, you know, I, I border the line of extrovert and introvert, so it was a really nice way for me to venture out and sort of put um, a piece or two of my work out there um, to be seen. And then that sort of added, acted as my own catalyst to, to start painting again, which is something that I haven't done since I was a teenager. Right. So, you know, like this is something I painted back here and like, cool. and since I moved to Austin, I've just been in overdrive. It's just so weird. Um, I don't know if it's just cause I actually have space to paint <laughs> versus like my New York city apartment where I was right. painting over my laptop, over, you know, you know, our extra bedroom, you know, junk room. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I think an interesting experience for me is just that that motivation was really contagious and, and yeah, that that's very special to me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, it's great that you can continue to have that outlet, uh, yeah. while you're continuing your professional career. So, mm -hmm. uh, very cool. So, are there any parallels or dress or lessons that you might draw from uh, your experience working with that scene and, that you have maybe drawn uh, upon or been able to see, you know, across your professional career? Oh, yeah. So kind of how I see it pertaining to, to insights. Um, 
I think one of the things I've learned a lot about in recent years um, is that it seems really important to have and build a sense of community. And I've noticed that in the consumers that, you know, the people that we study, um, especially, you know, younger generations, teens, um, you know, uh, it's really important to me as I see that it's very important to them. I think it's something that's growing. I think that brands that build community are the ones that we see with success and will have continued success. So I think that's a really strong parallel. Cool, cool. So chance for you to think a little bit about what the future holds for market research and consumer insights. <clears throat> any, any thoughts from your seat? Yeah, um, well, so kind of tying to what I was just talking about, I believe that the future of research relies um, on understanding the younger and up and coming generations, uh, always. I think it's very important to always, you know, take a look at what's coming next. Um, and they have a really strong desire from what I've seen for expression. So that kind of ties to like the arts, to, you know, um, to community. And um, I think it's important for us to continue to figure out for, for brands, for companies, organizations, for initiatives, how to harness that desire for expression. Right. Um, and I, you know, again, I think giving them, you know, figuring out how to give them that sense of community around their purchases and the brands that they choose to associate with is, is really important. So community expression are going to continue to be really big. And uh, I feel that there should always be fluidity between personal space and the brand space. That's interesting. Say, say a little bit more about that, the personal space versus the brand space. I think that people, whether they do a good job of it or not, are searching for a way to express themselves and build community in their personal lives. And rarely do we see brands, for example, step out of, you know, the brand zone right. to to meet and marry with that personal space of consumers and help them build the expression, the community. Yeah, it feels like that's a bit of a holy grail that at <laughs> least a lot of brands are, are starting, to, uh, starting to think about. So, uh, so yeah. that's good to see. Yeah, and I, I hope that they think about it more and I hope that they ask for help because we've seen a lot of it, I'm sure you have as well. And, mm -hmm. um, it's by having these in-depth conversations with, with teenagers, with young adults, and even with children, I think we can figure out how to marry those two worlds and really build more sort of impact and affinity. Cool. cool. Uh, so let me ask you, this being a podcast, of course, uh, I'm sure there are other podcasts or other media that you listen to or follow or have been influenced by. I would love to get some recommendations of things you've uh, read or, or listened to in the past and, and what you might be listening to now. Oh, sure. I mean, I can tell you a lot of stuff. Um, 
I listen to a lot of podcasts. I do listen to some of like the standard NPR, you know, things, Planet Monies and things that probably a lot of folks listen to as well as like the newer offshoots of those programs. But the stuff that I've really enjoyed in the past year um, are things that sort of take a look at um, society and the way that we have interpreted um, big news stories in the past and, and also um, media and kind of flipped it on its head and just said like, listen, here's the truth about what actually happened. So like the way that you kind of thought about it um, may not necessarily be accurate. So here are some facts and, and kind of educating people on pop culture and also, um, you know, big news stories. And two podcasts that I love right now, and they're um, both sort of led by this one woman, um, are You're Wrong About, which is this podcast that totally takes uh, news stories and, you know, uh, events um, that happened, like, like the OJ Simpson trial and they, right. they tell you, they tell you the real facts about it. Right. Uh, and I love that because it's educational, but it's super entertaining to listen to. And I won't tell you too much because I just, I encourage people to go out and listen to it. So it's, you're wrong about, and then they also kind of have done another show under that kind of that woman's umbrella, this, this wonderful woman named Sarah. Um, and the show is called why are dads? And it takes okay. a look at dads in, um, in, in movies um, mm -hmm. and, and talks sort of about their roles and, you know, what they were doing there. Um, what purpose did they serve? I'm not doing it justice. I'm not really good at describing these things, which is why I don't <laughs> podcast. I love listening to it, but I definitely recommend that one. Um, mm -hmm. I think people would be very entertained and pleasantly surprised. Um, they're sort of offbeat and not not the traditional podcast. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what I'm reading, uh, I'm a really big Stephen King fan. Cool. Um, I'm getting close to finishing his newest one. Um, stories, a collection of stories called uh, If It's If It Bleeds. Um, but I have always loved his short stories, his novellas. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite of all time was this uh, short story called Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, which I strongly recommend anyone read. It's I find him so moving. I love the way that he writes about people. Um, never mind the horror elements, because I'm a massive horror fan <laughs> in, in general. Um, but I just love the way that he, he describes just normal people and how they think. Sure. So that's sure. like podcasts and books. Now that's, that's good stuff. That first podcast you mentioned, uh, sounds in the same ballpark as say like Adam ruins everything, which, uh, that show my kids are super into it and they keep running in, they'll watch it on YouTube and they'll tell me all the facts and all the things that I knew wrong or I didn't understand before. And yeah. Hey, here's how it really is. So yeah. It's interesting cool. how, how we want to be proven wrong these days. <laughs> <laughs> it feels, it feels so different from decades ago when it was so important to be right. And now yeah. it's, it's okay to just be wrong and admit that. And I think that says something about our culture <laughs> as yeah. well. I, I really like that observation actually. So I, <laughs> I love being wrong because then I can find the right answer eventually. So, yeah. so that's good. Um, all right. So if you've seen any of the podcasts so far, you know what my last question is. Um, you're stranded on a desert island. It's the classic desert island disc. 
question. So you're stranded on the desert islands. Uh, you have three records at your disposal for the rest of your days. What are they? Yeah, so I prepared because this is super hard. Um, whenever somebody asks me about favorite music, I will say something different every every time because my interests, I'm really into into music and especially rock. And um, But rock spans, yeah, like it spans <laughs> decades. There's all different genres of rock and, you know, and I like other types of music as well, so it's tough. And like, if we talked about just artists, that would be one thing, but you said albums. Mm -hmm. so That's right. I gave it some thought. And Good. so I did it very like mood based. So, okay. I think, well, I, I gotta like do a little expository before I get into the album. So I think that, and kind of keeping in line with what I was saying about teens and things earlier, I think the music that resonates with us the most often um, seems to come out of your teen years. I know, I might be wrong. Maybe I'm generalizing. I think that's <laughs> fair. The, the time um, where you, you almost define yourself by the yes, music that you listen yes. yeah. I think it's a very influential time when people make really strong emotional connections to music, to mm -hmm. art, to literature, to, to, to lots of things. And it's a big imprint time, right? So, mm -hmm. um, I would say that my top albums that have been consistent for me throughout my life have been ones that I adopted during those teen years. Um, and so first off would hands down be Facelift by Alice in Chains. Cool. And yeah, so All right. this, now we're this, talking. Is my, <laughs> this is my ultimate um, sad, angry outlet. So I, and I also think that you just can't the, the genius and the melodies that are produced by Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell, like, is just magic. And, and it pisses me off to no end when bands like that try to reincarnate with new singers, et cetera. But I won't get into that. I digress. <laughs> but for, like, sad, angry mood, that's, for me, like, that's just such an outlet. And right. it's a Good blast. Start. Yeah. And Good then start. second... Um, so would definitely need to be something by GNR, but Guns N' Roses, for those who don't know. Metal. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably Appetite for Destruction. Yes. Is, you know, a lot of people's favorite album, but this is like my go-to raucous fun album. Um, you know, it's kind of like that no consequences feeling. It's something that I love to put on like jukeboxes at bars. Um, and I always put on Mr. Brownstone. Yeah. Total favorite. <laughs> you know, that is so by far their best album row. It's, yeah. uh, it's a good choice. Okay. It's we got perfect. two good ones. We got two it's good ones. All right. <laughs> and then finally, like, I have to, like, have my, my female representation. So, because that's super important to me. I'm all about, like, the future's female and, like, you know, you know, female power. And I've kind of been that way my whole life. My, you know, mom was a really strong, independent woman. Raised me by herself, pretty much. So, the two albums, the self-titled albums, it's, it's really a toss-up for me, um, from 1995 by Elastica and then a band called Garbage, which some Oh, yes. Know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Shirley so, Manson. Shirley Manson. I love Garbage. So, yeah, yes. awesome, awesome. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she's such an icon for me growing up. And, you know, so those two albums are all about girl power for me. Mm -hmm. They are fronted by two powerful women who are very inspirational and strong and they're role models 
And I always felt like in my mind, in my heart, it's more important to be strong than just pretty. So that uh, I know those albums front to back and I, I will always love them. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Ro, I will definitely come by and hang out for a little while on the island. All right, cool. Maybe not to the end of your days, but uh, but I'll hang out. I'll, I'll give each album a listen. Yeah. I'll have a good and time. I, and on, good. My <laughs> on my island, there also needs to be a pool table because I'm a huge pool shark. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, good to know, good to know. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time, Ro. Uh, this sure. was super fun. It's great to reconnect as always, and that's a great part of this podcast. So really appreciate your time, cool stories, and uh, hope to talk soon. Thanks for having me, and just to you and to everyone, you know, I hope everyone stays strong through all the crap we've been going through, and uh, I have a lot of hope for, for us going forward. We're going to do okay. <laughs> me too. Me too, because rock and roll always survives. Hell yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Joe. <laughs>